This is the Confident Collective Podcast with your hosts, Christina Zias and Rayanne Langis, two plus-size models and body activists here to get real and candid about living your most confident life. Get ready for powerful conversations that will leave you laughing, motivated, and inspired. We're also giants. I'm showing Christina my new onesie that I'm wearing. And yeah. it's a little bit short on my five foot eleven frame, but her onesie that I've been eyeing forever and I didn't get while I was pregnant. So I was like, ah, oh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> but now I really wish I had mm. it. You can borrow it. Thanks. I need to readjust myself. I'm looking away from Christina. Now I'm looking in your eyes. Hi. <sighs> Hello, girlfriend. How are you? I'm good. I actually this morning practiced this ritual that our guest today, Go Fit Joe, talked about on her Instagram. Is it's, it breath work? No. Okay. <laughs> it's, um. oh my God, what did she call it? It's about basically in the morning pages. Okay. So she dumps, she sits down in the morning mm -hmm. and she just writes out her free flow of thoughts, like completely judgment free. You just write it out, write it out, write it out. And I'm writing it and I'm like writing, if anyone ever reads this, I will simply perish. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> and then I didn't even know what's on it. <laughs> I was like, um, I was like, oh, I know why that guy ghosted me. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> anyway, I was writing all this stuff about boy problems. Then he texted me. And I was like, well, 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 look who's back. But anyway, after I did that, I turned on music and danced because this is what Joe said. I was like, I need to get really prepared for this. And honestly, I'm the worst at having a morning routine. Mm -hmm. And I just like had a great morning. I was like, I need to do this more often. Okay. That sounds incredible. And I know your life is like, so you can, you probably are, you're just trying to like feed Nico and like get your shit together. Um, no, that <laughs> sounds so good though. But one thing that in our conversation today with our guest, Joe, she talked about breath work a lot. And like, as she said it, both Ray and I took a deep breath and we can like giggle to ourselves. And honestly, it is just so freaking crazy how breathing feels so damn good. And you're obviously doing it all day long. But you don't actually take a moment to, at least I never take a moment to sit there and take deep breaths for like a couple minutes and just like think about things. And it, it is wild when you just do, even for a couple seconds, how much better you feel. I have not done that. So I need to do that. Have you been working on breath work? Is that why no. you said breath work? No. She, <laughs> said, she said it during our interview and I yeah. like took a deep breath. I was like, damn, I feel better already. And it was like one deep breath. No, but I will say, I don't, unfortunately, I wasn't dancing around this morning, <laughs> but some of my favorite times of day I'm starting to realize uh, is related to music. And I'm someone who I fall asleep listening to podcasts, right? I wake up and I put the TV on or the news on or podcasts or something like that. And I don't put music on enough. You are mm -hmm. super good at that. Cause whenever I come over, you always have like music playing and I don't, but whenever I do put music on, I just feel so amazing. And I'm like, why don't I do this more often? Which is just so freaking crazy. Like growing up, I like literally, I was never not listening to music. So anyways, in the evenings, I give um, Nicholas a bath. And whenever I do, I just like put on like a, a playlist. And it What kind like, of music do you play for Nico? Oh, um, I play 90s. Like I just play like 90s, yes. like random classic rock or like classic hits. Um, and Steve plays them all 80s music. He's going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I'm starting to realize like I need to create a little bit more of a routine. And, and when you start to notice things that like bring you pleasure, or bring you happiness or bring you like sauce, like to try and do more of that. At least mm -hmm. that's what I need to start doing. So I'm realizing that like, okay, music makes me feel great. The news does not. Yeah. So turn off the news, put the music on. Mm hmm. 
I'm like, mm, maybe I don't need to be scrolling through TikTok uh, for two hours at night. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? I know. So I'm trying. I've got a good bedtime routine down now, but the morning routine is still. I'm just like. But I feel uh, like you were having such a good morning routine too. Like you were writing in your journal every day, weren't you? Or you were like reading your self help books? No, I was. I had a good morning routine. Before you left. Before I left. And then when I went to Denver, um, it just, my whole, my whole, you know, life was different. So I just, um, yeah, it was now that I'm back, I need to get back into it, but it's all over the place. Wait, what's your evening routine? My evening routine. Um, so I try to stop and get off my computer, stop working by nine. Okay. I know people are going to hear that and be like, uh, but I do like, I, like, I think that's admirable. I was like trying to edit videos at 11 PM last night. I know. And I like to do all my like uh, emails and that sort of stuff at night. Cause I like to optimize our day to like to shoot and create content. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will do my skincare. I've started doing gua sha massages and I also have started doing a five minute head massage for hair growth. Every night. Oh my gosh, you're going to give me one after this conversation. <laughs> it is hard with extensions. I'm not going to lie to you. And it also makes your hair greasy. So I have this tool that I use. Because if you use your hands, it makes your hair greasy. Yeah. And I try not to wash my hair as much. Of course. Yeah. Ordeal. Then I make a sleepy time tea. Okay. Um, and I read a book. Mm-hmm. You know what book I'm rereading right now because I need to read it. What? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I know what book you're reading. I like get scared to say it. I'm going to say it. Why men love bitches? Why because, are you scared to say that? Because people always have opinions on it. And I do think some of the things in the book, I'm like, mm, okay. But other They're times... like outdated. Sometimes I think it's a little outdated, but I, I'm telling you, it works. And I've seen it. I, I'm firsthand experience. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, with this, we'll call him the lawyer because okay. I'm not going to use names. I did everything opposite of this book. Very disappointed. I asked you. him out first. Better. I texted him first. I kissed him. You I was like, no better I was like, girl. I was like, did I kiss him or did we kiss mutually? I was like, no, I, I kissed him. <laughs> I, I did every single thing. And then I never heard from him and I never, but then I was like, okay, I'm going into why men love bitches mode. Didn't respond, didn't text him, didn't do anything. Guess who popped up today? Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to try the approach of this, you know, of playing by the rules, if mm-hmm. you will. Whatever you want to do. You got to do what's best for you. But anyway, this is like the longest ram. I'm rambling so much. No, I get it. Then I read and then I fall asleep to a meditation. And then, well... I usually also masturbate too. <laughs> that sounds like an amazing, amazing evening routine. Yeah. What's your evening routine? My evening routine is like terrible right now, but pretty much I do my skincare routine, which I love. And can I just tell you, I recently got an ice roller that is game changing. The Amazon one that everyone has? Actually, a brand sent it to me, but I think it is the Amazon one that everyone has. It's pretty much the same thing, just different colors. Okay. I cannot recommend enough. Mm. It feels so good. So I do my nighttime routine. Then I normally pump my breast. <laughs> um, and while I'm doing that, I try and get work done, which sucks because it's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. But I'm like trying to do work in that time. How long does it take to pump? Like 20, 30 minutes. Okay. Um, and then I go to sleep and I put a podcast on to fall asleep to. And that's normally what happens. But can I tell you what I Googled the other day? I'm mm. just going to say it. Start Googling, find myself Googling. Can you smoke marijuana while breastfeeding? <laughs> what did you find out? Um, well, it's not necessarily encouraged. <laughs> but it's not a hard no. But it's not a hard no. <laughs> Anyways, I haven't, but um, 
I, I re-upped my stock just in case just I changed my mind or just in case all of a sudden I stopped breastfeeding. Um, but anyways, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't have a night routine. I'm mostly still honestly on survival mode, trying to take care of the baby, trying to work and just um, still taking care of my skin. The skin. Although I will say when it comes to hair, I do have a little nighttime routine. I put a little bit of my hair oil in, the Gizu hair oil. Our favorite I'm hair so oil. I'm so obsessed with it. I brush my hair with this wet brush that, again, I am so obsessed is with. Is it the one Justine recommended? Yes. Yes. Thank God for Justine Marjan. It is <laughs> so good. And then I put my hair in a braid, which is a game changer for extensions. And yeah, that's it. Do you and Steve go to bed at the same time or do you go to bed at different times? Mm, mostly we go to bed at different times now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we used to go. Is Steve uh, go to bed first? No, he goes to bed after me. Really? Mm-hmm. He's the night more of a night owl. Well, it's because we're on baby mode, so he'll normally take the dog out. He'll take Dewey out after I go to bed, and then he will like feed the baby one more time before he goes to bed, and then I'll wake up like for them. It's so crazy, right? Nico is a lot of work. Yeah, this kid is demanding <laughs> as hell. I'm like, I hope you appreciate this. <laughs> but he's so cute. I love him so much. Oh yeah. my gosh. But anyways, that's it. Well, let's, uh, now that we've rambled on about it. Our- everyone's listening and be like, wait a minute. What the fuck is this podcast you about? Well, it was like me talking about how I masturbated and I will lead into this episode. Yes. But when, then we got off track. But we have... I honestly, I don't do that anymore, but I used to do that every single night too. Okay. I'm like, is it bad that I do it every night? No. Like that. Do you know, Aaron and I, one of my good friend bonded, we became like good friends because one day we were hanging out and she was like, um, do you, you know, masturbate? <laughs> she was like, so nervous to ask me. And I was like, girl, every damn day. And from then on, we were like, just broke down that like barrier of being like taboo about it. Cause it does feel like such a taboo subject. And I feel like even like amongst close friends, like it's not something that people really talk about. Well, this is the first time I'm talking about it publicly. I don't talk about it on my Instagram or anything. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) I could never, I could never, but I did just get this new vibrator and I don't know how I feel about it. It's like too much. Um, which damn, I should have asked Joe about this. I'm going to have to send her a DM. Um, but she did recommend another tool at the end of this episode. If you are looking to get into, um, experimenting with self-pleasure. So anyway, <laughs> Christina's- <laughs> well, wait, can I, I gotcha. I'm not going to even tell the story. I'll save it for another time. Okay, fine. When I was like 19 years old, I went to the sex toy party. It was like a bunch of girlfriends from high school. And we went to, it was one of my friend's sister's bachelorette party. Okay. I don't know why we were there. It was like a bunch of like 30-year-olds and like and a couple 19-year-olds. Perfect. Um, yeah. And anyways, they had like this sex um, therapist and like this person who was selling a bunch of sex toys. Yeah. So we all got these like dildos. Okay. <laughs> like super <laughs> fucking aggressive. At this point, I've never even had sex. Okay. And all of a sudden... This like Jack the Rabbit thing, I think, shows up to my doorstep. And it is just like to your parents' house. Wait, no. I actually no, I don't think it showed up to my doorstep. I think we got it there. But oh. the thing is I was so uncomfortable by it. I can't, I can't we were talking about this right now. You're like getting red. That I hid it in an old like Dooney and Burke purse with a with a beer. Two of the things I had hidden from my parents <laughs> underneath my bed. But my mom is a crazy person and cleans our entire house. My mom is the type of person who will like dust mm. our rooms like weekly, even though no one's in the room. Right. So to this day, I know my mom has found this purse. <laughs> <laughs> and like we've never talked about it, nothing, but it still like gives me so much embarrassment. Just and knowing. Just knowing. 
Oh, I kind of have secondhand embarrassment for you. I have even thirdhand embarrassment for everyone <laughs> listening. Anyways, oh my that's God. my story. Okay, well, if you can't tell, today we're going to be talking about sex, sexual empowerment, and radical self-acceptance. Um, today, we are chatting with Joe of Go Fit Joe. She is a coach, educator, mother, and she helps women become emotionally stable and sexually liberated. She grew up as a first-generation Filipino-American where she felt a lot of pressure to be the perfect daughter and the perfect wife. She embarked on a journey of radical self-acceptance and now is helping other women to do the same. So welcome, Joe, to the podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to take a second to give a little trigger warning. Joe does talk about some past sexual assault and trauma that she dealt with that helped lead to her discovery of sexual empowerment and radical self-acceptance. All right, let's get into the episode. Okay. Well, welcome, Joe, to the podcast. Before we get started, I just want, if you can, to share like your story of how you got to be this coach to help women become more emotionally stable and sexually liberated. Just I want our audience to get like a quick picture of who you are um, and a little background on you before we jump into all the nitty gritty. Yeah, my journey to become a coach helping women with their sexual trauma and their sexual liberation actually started off with my own sexual trauma. Um, I was molested at eight and raped at 15 years old. And a lot of that unknowingly was a lot of what caused me to have self-esteem issues, self-worth issues, body image issues. I didn't really realize that my body image issues and my health issues were tied to that until my like maybe like late thirties, um, or like mid thirties. And it was already knee deep in my coaching career. So I've been coaching since 2017. When I was coaching in the beginning, I was mostly focused on holistic wellness. Um, and so when I started kind of diving in, trying to understand what my own sexual hangups were in my own marriage, um, it was one of those where I was like, holy fuck. I have issues with my body and the way I treat myself because of the trauma that I experienced in my lifetime. And I had no idea that it was because of the fact that, you know, when you've experienced sexual trauma, you have something where somebody either takes something from you or violated or whatever, but essentially bottom line, you are told that your body isn't yours. Right. You're taught that your body isn't yours through some wounding or some trauma. And so that was when it was like a huge wake up call for me to kind of do my own healing. And it was in then when I started sharing about just that experience, tying everything that I knew in terms of like neuroscience, changing behaviors, habits, all that stuff through life coaching with my own healing journey is when a lot of women started to come to me with their own sexual trauma and their own relationship hangups. And it was kind of like a very organic way of, of working with women the way that I do, because it wasn't something I expected to actually get into. I had no idea that my own trauma was going to be the thing that I coached on. And so today I have had over a hundred students in the last two years that I've helped through just learning a little bit more about their emotions, uh, learning how to get in tune with their bodies, and then really stepping into what they define as sexual wellness for them. Mm. I'm just like taking that in Same. for a second. And also, I'm so sorry about like the past experiences that you've had, but you're just someone who's so brave and so strong and like just goes to show that like you can overcome things and turn that into 
knowledge and education and the way that you've transformed that is just super empowering. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I always say you turn wounds into wisdom and pain mm-hmm. into power, right? So it's, it's, I, I appreciate the acknowledgement in that, but I'm also like 1000% never sorry for the experiences that I have because it it's, I've realized over time, I'm like, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I was like, fuck, I always go through the, all this shit, you know, like I'm always the one going through all this dramatic stuff. And then I like realized as I became older, I'm like, that's because I turn it into wisdom. I have to like turn it around and teach mm. it back to the community and the people I serve. I have a friend who always said to me whenever I felt like I was going through shit, she, she always said that like, Christina, like God handed you, you God handed you these things because he knew that you could handle them. And your lessons are lessons that you're going to teach other people. And I was mm-hmm. just like, that always stuck with me. We're not even friends anymore, but like that was <laughs> that quote like that. I was like, it, it helped me go through stuff. And honestly, I, I think it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. With things, how do I phrase this? Sexual t- trauma. Is there, um, how, when someone, how do you realize these things? Because I think a lot of things might be trauma that we've experienced, but we don't even know that it's trauma. Yeah. How do you help women kind of dig down and find what is like feeding into their limiting beliefs or the patterns that they're in now? Yeah. I mean, you know, this is what I always like tell people is like trauma. There's always like big trauma with a capital T and there's trauma with like a little T and, you know, trauma baseline definition of trauma is like we understand trauma as a society as like the events that happen to us when really what we need to do is understand that trauma is actually what is happening inside of us. Mm-hmm. It's how we're processing the event itself. It's how we're processing the wound or the experience. And it's oftentimes can be very small. I mean, like think of it this way. You two can be both in a car accident at the same time at the same exact time. And one can be in the driver's seat, the other one's in the passenger seat. And for whatever reason, in four months, uh, Ray might be more healed than you might be. Right. And so it's like one of those things where it's like, how does that actually happen? And it's because it's about what is happening inside the person's body. So how I recognize that when it comes to recognizing wounding um, or trauma that somebody has experienced is when they start to shape something or tell me something about a belief that they had. Let's say, for example, a woman has always believed that she's not worthy. And so in order to make up for her worth, she has to constantly be busy or constantly have to achieve something or constantly performing or having to have everything perfect. It's always a story or condition that plays over and over in our minds about our self-worth. So the first thing I oftentimes, I often ask is, who is the first person who told you that you weren't perfect? When was that first moment in your life? And it often happens within childhood, within family, within teachers, maybe even a kid um, teasing them at school. It's always something super small. That is oftentimes the first time that somebody experiences this emotional wounding that just over time, because they haven't addressed it, they aren't aware of it, they're unconscious about it, just becomes re-wounded time and time again through just little tiny microaggressions. Mm. One thing that you talk about a lot is radical self-acceptance, mm-hmm. which I love that. Um, can you describe that to, how would you describe what radical self-acceptance looks like to you? 
Yeah. Well, radical self-acceptance looks like to me accepting all the parts of you that are both messy and beautiful all at the same time. Knowing that these parts of you, you know, the ones that we've referred to as like the light parts and the dark parts or the lightness and the shadows, these are all parts of us. And radically accepting them means that we can say, hey, I am both wounded and I am both great simultaneously, and neither of them are competing in my life. Both of them add something to me and I can accept and embrace all of that. Gosh, I and that, that to me. Yeah. And that to me turned into unconditional self-love. I love right? that so much because we talk so much about self-love and body confidence. And for me, like I couldn't agree more. I think if you're on a confidence journey, like the number one thing is learning to accept yourself the good and the bad. And once mm-hmm. you can, and once you could just look at those as like matter of fact, like I know I'm impatient. I know I have a temper. I know I have, I know I'm super unorganized. I know all these things about myself, but that's okay. Cause I, I acknowledge them and I don't love them about myself, but I accept them. And I've never thought about it in like this term of like radical self-acceptance. I don't think I like we, I even heard of it or said those until we, mm-hmm. you know, we're excited to talk to you. Um, yeah. But that's such a cool way to look at it. My therapist yeah. actually said that she was like, cause I was describing to her, I was like, look, I'm so confident in my business and with other women, but like one area I don't feel confident is like with men. And she was like, you can hold space for both. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? I don't understand. <laughs> and it was just yeah. wild to hear that. So to hear you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. So you know, it's so funny. Cause you know, a lot of people will say things like, um, oh my God, I'm, I'm so grateful right now, but I'm also like in this state of grieving or I'm mourning a breakup or whatever. And I'm like, you can be both. Mm-hmm. You can have gratitude and grief at the same time. And they're just like, holy shit. I'm like, what if you change the word, but to, and just a simple thing, but change of changing language. Oh my gosh, I feel like you're my soul sister speaking to me like deep down my core. I was telling Ray this too. I was like, honestly, right now I just had a baby. So like I'm in this like state of like, what the hell is going on with my life? I'm so happy. Mm. But at the same time, I'm like so overwhelmed and like frustrated and like all of these things. And you can, you can, it yeah. is and. It mm-hmm. is and. and because the sadness and like the frustration and like the tiredness I feel does not take away from the happiness. It's just like, totally. they just both exist together. Totally. And you know what? Congratulations for being on this motherhood journey because it is both be- brutal and beautiful at the same time. <laughs> I'm just going to acknowledge that. And exactly. And, like, hold witness to like all of that. Cause I think as moms too, we get, we get so beat up with the idea that like, you can't be like, you can't be a good mom and sexy at the same time. I remember that story for me. And it was just like, how the fuck do you think I had these babies? <laughs> like, interesting, you know, like all of a sudden it's so, for whatever reason, society says like, as you become a mom, you have to be like this complete Virgin Mary. And you're like, wait, you guys know how babies happen, right? Wait, <laughs> Let's just back up the story real quick. I, I literally just said this to Ray. I was like, I need, we need to talk about this because I was just filming a TikTok video yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like for um, V-Day, like sleepwear looks. And mm-hmm. the last look was this sexy lingerie piece. And I was like, I, I liked it. And I was like, is this inappropriate? Like, should I not be wearing this? Should I not be posting about this? But I didn't feel inappropriate. Like I still felt confident. I liked wearing it, but it was just this, like, I had this like moment of doubt. Like, are people going to judge me for Mm -hmm. wearing lingerie that I, now that I'm a mom? Yeah. 
So, I mean, how do you, how do you get over that? How do you look past that? And how do we like, as women support each other in that and like not, um, because I I don't think I, I felt self-conscious more about what other people were going to think of me Yeah, versus Mm -hmm. like how I felt. Yeah. You know, for me, the, the biggest way I know I overcame that as a mom was I thought back to all the trauma that I'd been through and I thought, what would be the education I wish I received when I was eight years old about my body and about sex or sexuality. What I would have wanted to know at eight years old was that I have the right to say no, that my body is mine to own. I would have wanted to know what my body parts were called scientifically and label them properly versus like nicknames so that when it came to telling adult folks about what had happened, Mm -hmm. I could actually like speak with, with thorough clarity, like what actually happened. And that 15 years old, I would have wanted to know that like love could exist without sex and sex could have existed without love because Mm -hmm. then it wouldn't be so confusing to me of falling in love with somebody, but not having any kind of physical attraction to them. And then being in a situation where you almost feel like you had to like give up your body just to be in relationship with somebody. And that's so many stories that I hear too from women all the time. It's like, I don't think I really fully consented that to that experience because we also don't teach consent at an early age either. So the way that I view that as far as like healing that part of, of myself as a mom of like, can I be sexual as a mom? It's like, well, if my young daughters are trying to experience their bodies for the first time and understand their sexuality, what is the information that I could give them? How do I want to empower them? I want them to know that if you want to wear lingerie and feel sexy and feel fucking confident, then go fucking do it. Mm-hmm. Damn what anybody thinks because you're not designed to be objectified as a woman. You're designed to be a woman and a human being. Right. So I think like, I think that was the, 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 the sentiment or empowerment that I gave myself to take that like story back that as a mom, you can't be sexy and you can't be sensual and you can't experience pleasure. And the only pleasure that's available to you is the one that you have with your family. And that just felt like such a high standard that that fell in line with perfectionism that I just was like, I cannot be a part of that storyline anymore. Mm. One thing that you mentioned was how you wish you were taught about sexuality when you were just sharing. And I was thinking back to like, how was I taught about sexuality? I just wasn't Mm -hmm. like it. It just wasn't talked about. Neither was I at all. Yeah. I'm like, even like the only thing I had was like a sex ed class in high school, which was like, not even, I couldn't even tell you anything from that class. So how do you think, like, how do you approach teaching your children about this? And how do you think we can change that narrative? So it's not like, I don't know, taboo or, cause I definitely think I see now more women talking about sex and sexuality. But when I was, I mean, obviously when I was younger, I wasn't seeing that, but like my mom didn't talk to me about this. No one in my yeah. life talked to me about this. It just was never spoken about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things is like, we have to understand why our sex education is the way that it is. And unfortunately um, it's changing now. I mean, now that, now that my daughter is, she's going to be 17 in a couple months. So her sex ed class was a couple years ago. And this is kind of like the first time I started really dipping deeper into sexual wellness because I was like, great, my daughter's talking about it, which means I can feel empowered as a mom to talk about it. Like she's no longer this, like in this like weird age where it's just like, 
oh my God, here's my mom talking about sex again. Seriously, <laughs> this is weird. Uh, the fact that she kind of crossed that threshold gave me permission to also cross the threshold in our house. So that was really great. Um, I think like, you know, just to kind of take it back, like when we look at sex ed now in, in schools, a lot of it is based off of um, like purity culture, right? So abstinence is, is what it's mostly based on. Um, and then also it's based on heteronormative standards. So men and women or male, female. Uh, rarely is there any sex ed that is um, supporting in support of like the LGBTQ plus communities, which is really sad to me. Um, and I, I, I just think it's changing. So the way that we can support the change, I think, is just normalizing the conversations, right? Having having conversations like this where sex doesn't feel taboo and we can just talk about it like it's normal. I mean, I don't know. We we talk about body part. We, we talk body parts all the time in this house as if it's like normal. We don't necessarily sexualize it. We, we keep it pretty age appropriate. But I mean, vagina is going to be said with the same uh, sense of safety and calmness in our bodies and our adult bodies that I would say like an elbow in this house. And I think part of it is like, how does sex, how does like, what's coming up for you as a person when you hear the word sexuality? What, what, what does it activate? Does it feel like shame? Does it feel, do you feel resistance? Do you feel a sense of openness? And I think if there is resistance there, getting curious with the resistance, why do you feel resistant? Is it because you grew up in a household where they didn't talk about sex openly? Were you shamed about sex at one point at one time? So I think it's just like also understanding how do we have these conversations so that they feel safe to us in our bodies to have it. Mm -hmm. And we're not like, oh, fuck, that feels so weird hearing. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, they just said penis. You know what I mean? Because it's mm -hmm. just like penis is what they call it in the medical books, mm -hmm. just like they call a left toe, a left toe or a phalange. Like I just, why do we need to make it shameful? So <laughs> true. You're right. It's just like an organ. It's just a part of it's your body. It's an organ. Right. Yeah. But we're like pen 15, like all these like <laughs> One thing that I was so interesting that I just feel like I wanted to share was, so I, when it comes to sexual sexuality, when you're like, what do you think of when you think of sexuality? So I grew up in um, going to Christian school. My parents send us to Christian school, but they're very chill. Like I talked to my parents about my dating life. Like I made a joke to my mom the other day that I would celibate and she laughed so hard. Like she knows, like <laughs> we're very, we're open, but I personally feel like I'm caught because, and I believe you're raised Catholic, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I feel caught in being raised Christian, but then also wanting to explore like my sexuality and like have sex and enjoy sex and be like a sexual being. And I think that I struggle to find space for both. Like we talked about at the beginning, because I feel like I have to fit into one of these things. And I constantly feel like I'm going back and forth, back and forth between like, how can I have a faith and like have sexuality? And I think this is a very big conversation, yeah. much bigger than probably what we have time for today. <laughs> but how did you have kind of that same thing being raised Catholic? Or have you seen that with your clients where you have this like uh, pull between like faith and sexuality? Yeah, I see it all the time. And I had I had that same feeling for myself when I was younger. I think because of just the events that happened in my life, um, I was able to pull away from my parents' belief in Catholicism and 
the ways in which I was raised when I was younger, much earlier on. Um, and in a lot of ways, like I do, I do have a faith. I do have some spirituality practices, but I almost like design a faith of my own based on my own beliefs. If I could, if I could create the perfect quote unquote, like religion that I would follow, it would be a mixture of Taoism, Hindu, uh, a little bit of Christianity and maybe some Buddhism. Like I'd put them all in a pot and like make it all into one, which is kind of like how I operate today. What I do see with my clients and when I, when they come to me regarding this, this like inner conflict, the one thing that I challenge them to just think about and believe is like, well, what is right for you? And if you feel, and most of them will say, like, I believe that God gave me this like beautiful body. And I said, okay, well, if that's the case, I'm pretty sure that your God also gave you agency and Mm. sovereignty and wanted you to also understand that your beliefs are yours for yourself. And the, really the, the biggest thing that, you know, your God might ask of you is to just not do harm on anybody. Right. And to treat each other with respect. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, then where does your sexuality fit with that? And Mm -hmm. the biggest thing they always say is that it's, you know, it's a sacred part of who I am. And the way that I define sexuality really is it's your purest form of self-expression. It's the way that you believe it's your thoughts, beliefs about yourself, how you relate to others, how you want to explore and experience other relationships, whether that's physical and or spiritual. Um, It's the way in which you think about how you want to express yourself creatively. I mean, sex in itself is all about a life force, right? So if we think about it in that pure sense, with sex is just there purely to create life, then really it's there to just to express yourself. Sexuality is all about the purest form of self-expression. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah, me neither. So I, have yeah. a, I have a question. Most of the clients that come to you, are they single women or women in relationships or men in relationships or single men? Yeah, I, I, I actually mostly work with, well, I only work with women. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, it's a mix. It's sometimes single, it's sometimes relationships. Um, I have a couple of uh, clients who identify with being queer and lesbians. So that's really exciting and new for me. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy to be able to support that. Um, I, there's, a part of me that is also wanting to possibly explore the idea of uh, working with men and their sexuality, uh, because I feel like men also need the support too. Mm-hmm. So I've been, there's been a couple of moments where like some guys have been emailing, you know, like I have a couple of colleagues who specifically specify in that or, you know, uh, specialize in that. And, and, and at the same time, I'm like, oh, I think I could do it. And I'm like, oh no, maybe not. <laughs> I, I think you could do it. It'd be a whole different beast. Yeah, uh, I think I could do it. I think it'd be a whole different beast, but I think it'd be like such a beautiful way of educating them about their bodies that they just don't understand. Mm-hmm. And if we think about it, men and women have been shamed about their sexuality both simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, guys have been, yeah, guys have been shamed about their sex life since day one. And so have women. Mm. That's so interesting because I always think that like men have so much more room to explore their sexuality and to be more sexual beings than women do. Or they have like some, this permission. I don't know if that's just like a hang up or like how I was raised to think or just like society in general, but that's kind of, I I see the two differently. Like growing up, I always just felt like, you know, like men were always like, oh, if he like sleeps around it's like totally fine. But if a woman sleeps around, like she doesn't have that same respect. 
Totally. Yeah. I definitely think men get a hall pass and there is a double standard. Mm -hmm. Um, and that double standard and the hall passing is, is definitely cultural and societal beliefs. Um, if you look historically through history, women are far more honored for their sexuality predating a lot of modern history and modern culture. And so it's crazy to me to see a, see the change, I guess, through history that women have been shut down in a lot of their own bodily practices. Or even if we think about like women in their periods, how at one point that was celebrated and sacred. And then all of a sudden it was like dirty. Mm-hmm. And then now we're finally coming to this place where we're like, actually it's normal. Yeah, like you don't have to hide your tampons. I or still do. I like honestly, for some reason, that shit makes me uncomfortable. You're so. I would never guess it. I feel like you're so. Like I know, I need Joe in my life, <laughs> <laughs> and that's also okay, though, right? Yeah. Like if that's the way that you feel about it, that's totally okay. And and I always like you know whenever whenever my clients have some sort of resistance, I'm like just meet that resistance with love and compassion. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. If you have to hide your tampons, that's totally fucking fine i've one thousand percent hid them under like smart food popcorn before like like there's i know for a fact yeah yeah i mean it's funny because like i remember my daughter at first you know i was like trying to convince her to to start using a menstrual cup years ago and she's like oh god no i don't think so and then this past summer she was like so mom i think i want to really start using a menstrual cup i'm like okay sure and she was like God, like, this is so awesome. I don't have to, like, buy tampons. I was like, this is what I've been telling you for, like, two freaking years because I'm paying for those tampons, damn it. <laughs> I know. I switched to the cup, too, and it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, though. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Um, so I want to ask you a question. So this is an area where I am naive, and I would love to learn. So you are non-monogamous, Mm-hmm. Can you, and no one in my, no one in my life is, or I don't, or maybe they are, I don't know, maybe they could be. And I just don't know. <laughs> I would love to hear like, what, what does that look like to you? And what is that? How does that like change the way you approach relationships or sexuality? Yeah. 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 So I'm non-monogamous. I've always believed in non-monogamy, but I didn't think I had, I didn't, I didn't think it was safe for me to actually express that truth or say say it out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason being is because when I was about 19, 20 years old um, and a bunch of, you know, women were obviously like dating around and seeing other people or whatever. uh, I remember being in my girlfriend group and I was like, I don't think I like, I don't think it's right that again, the double standard, I don't think it's right that women aren't able to sleep around, but like men get the hall pass to hoe around and like men get celebrated if they have multiple partners, but like women are sluts. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in this conversation with a bunch of women back then. And they were like, you're so weird to think that way. Like you're not like a, you wouldn't be a good girl or like a good woman if like you had like multiple partners. And I just was like, but men get honored and celebrated for that shit all the time. I don't get it. So I never really spoke about it until far later. And so basically like non-monogamy for me just, just means that I might have multiple partners at the same time or might have the ability or openness to be in a long-term relationship with one person. And then if there might be a connection or um, something that I might want to explore outside the relationship, that there is an open understanding that that is something within our dynamic that we can explore. 
And so within non-monogamy, there's several different buckets. Um, within non-monogamy is like, think of that as like the overall umbrella of it. And then underneath of there is like open relationships where, you know, couples can be in a relationship together and they might have sexual or non-sexual partners outside of that. Um, and then there's polyamory is when you have multiple intimate, loving, romantic partnerships. Um, and then there's obviously like swinging that also falls in non-monogamy. They're swapping or whatever. So that also falls in non-monogamy too. And would you say like, if someone wants to explore a non-monogamous relationship, like the number one thing is just all about communication or? Thousand percent, thousand percent. Yeah. I mean, uh, Ray, you asked me like, how does this shape the way I view relationships? I think one of the things that this has helped me do big time within my relationships is communicate in such a different way. And then also have a very like non um, binary perspective of relationships. Like there's so much more fluidity and freedom to it. So when things change or when things evolve, they don't feel like such a, such a like heartbreak on my own self-worth. Cause it's just like, you know what, actually I love you for all the pieces of who you are. And that part doesn't quite fit for me and that's okay. And so maybe there might be another another partner or somebody that I connect with that might fit a, a different piece that like my other partner doesn't supply me or whatever. Mm. And so that's like one way that that polyamory or non-monogamy can work for people. Or it's just like, shit, if you're, so some rules that other people have is like uh, dating not in your zip code. So it's like if they're traveling or whatever and they might have a connection, maybe that's where they explore that particular connection. Mm, interesting. Ray, is this a, would you ever be interested in a relationship like that or a non-monogamous relationship? I feel like I'm, and this was going to be a question for you, Joe. I feel like I'm too jealous. I feel like I am, when I care for someone, I care so deeply. I like to use the word passionate, which I don't, I think you can obviously be passionate like you said, in, in different, in different ways, but I don't know if I, I, I personally, I've never honestly explored it. And I don't know if I, if how I would deal with knowing that I don't, I will find it difficult. I think just because the jealousy thing, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. I mean, jealousy still persists. Like me and my partner, we still have jealousy, you know, that's not, it's not, it's not like, okay, you guys are non-monogamous and jealousy is not part of the equation. No, mm -hmm. there's jealousy there. Mm -hmm. You have to understand like what is the emotion or feeling behind jealousy. And oftentimes underneath the layer of jealousy, you might either feel um, jealous about the other person. Maybe it's FOMO, meaning that like you are the one who are wa who's wanting to be in, a, in that same experience with your partner. Mm -hmm. um, or it could be an insecurity that you have to deal with. Right. Yeah. So it's like if if there is jealousy present, the biggest thing that like we process through, I process through in my experience is like, why am I jealous? What is it that I'm jealous about? Am I jealous about the other woman or the other person? No, because I'm pretty fucking awesome myself. Like I like who I am. Uh, I'm a pretty good catch. And so, no, not necessarily them. And what it always boiled down to for me, at least when my partner was seeing other people, it's like. I, I'm bummed that I'm not experiencing that with him, but I'm really happy that he's got this experience and he can bring that back home to me. And whether it's like a casual date or maybe it's a sexual experience or whatever the case, it's like, I'm, I'm, it gives me the freedom to like, know that I can still do me during that time mm -hmm. and he's coming back home, mm -hmm. you know? So 
Yeah, I think that's so important to look at. Okay, so you have this feeling of jealousy. Why are you feeling jealous? And like, get to the, the you know, the bottom of it, whether it's you're jealous that you want to be experiencing that too, or maybe it brings up an insecurity because you think that this woman or, or person has something that you don't have. But regardless, I think if you are, you know, think that it's for you or not, I think it's just really good to learn and be open and educated um, on these things. And this is an area that I have, you know, don't know much about. So I was excited to hear from you and learn um, because I think the more open and we are about learning all these things, it's just where we can be better friends, better partners, and just better people in general. So yeah. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing too, with like non-monogamy, it, it requires for you to really, really work through a lot of codependency, mm-hmm. which is so, I mean, and, and you don't get to work with, you don't get to work on that necessarily that deep in a monogamous relationship and not like you have to, but it, it there's a lot of things that definitely I've had to learn to work through in the last two years of two and a half, three years now exploring non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And I think it just made me a better communicator for sure, because then it's like, you know, I, I have to process things in real time and then invite them in to the, the feelings or emotions that I'm going through without having to like have the chaos of, of the drama, right? Like the, oh my God, you're making me feel like shit, you know, <laughs> like that kind yeah. of feeling that it's like, hey, something is coming up for me. Yeah. And I really want to be in a relationship with you, but this is the thing that's bothering me. Do you have time to process that with me? Or is this something that we can talk about? And so it just teaches you how to be a better communicator and then to own your shit, like own your shit through and through. Mm, absolutely. That's the hard part. <laughs> yeah, it is the hard part. This is the hardest part. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, we've talked a little bit about like insecurities, especially in relationships and in the bedroom. And I feel like that's something that obviously a lot of women struggle with. I know like for me, it was always like insecure about either lack of experience or body image. And like mm-hmm. those are both like pretty debilitating, like especially if you're into someone and you want to be intimate and it's kind of like, how, how do you overcome that? Do you have any tips, um, I guess, for both if you are not as experienced Um, And two, if you struggle with body insecurities, how do you feel confident in the bedroom? Yeah. Yeah. So the confidence part, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of things to dive into there, but the performance part, Mm -hmm. the biggest thing I think, the biggest thing I tell women is understand like why you have a, a need to perform in the first place. Why do you need to perform in the first place? Is the way that you seen sex before based on media, based on porn, past experiences that told you you need to look a certain way or be a certain way, or maybe your own self-knowledge, your own self-wisdom. So I think like when you start to kind of look at those and, you know, most women will tell me it's oftentimes a story of what they've seen in the media of what sexy is supposed to look like. I'm like, oh, throw the fucking picture out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Get rid of Cosmopolitan, okay? (laughs) Yeah. What does it look like and what does it feel? What does it feel like to you? And so the biggest thing I always like tell people is what can you do in your sexual experience to bring back sexual innocence, which is just the idea of having fun, playing with it, exploring sensations, exploring pleasure, get rid of the idea that an orgasm means it has anything to do with good sex or not. Because really good sex is all about how you feel in that sexual experience. And maybe... Maybe your body is like, mm, I'm not coming today. So just, that's just about it. That's just it. But a shit, that was really fun. 
And that was really cool. So that I, I always like tell women, get back into the sensation and the feeling and get present with that. So that hope that that oftentimes gets them to start thinking of stop thinking about like the performance anxiety part in terms of being confident in the bedroom. It's the same kind of thing. Like imagine just exploring for play sake and for fun sake and for pleasure. And oftentimes we don't, we have to measure pleasure by some sort of metric, right? How many orgasms did I have? How long did we go? Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, why not just, did you just have fun? <laughs> Was that just fun? Did we giggle through this? Did we have a great time connecting with each other? You know, and, and that, that oftentimes helps alleviate some of that. And then in terms of just like the, the body in itself, I always like tell women if lingerie or dressing up is something that is in, is something that you want to invite into your sexual experience, wear something that makes you feel confident. Fuck what it looks like. It's all about what it feels like. And if you don't feel good, how's that confidence going to transpire into the bedroom in the first place? Mm-hmm. It's not. And don't force anything that's, that's not available to you. So I like, I, I, I super believe in like consent culture and consenting even in long-term really rich attachments and relationships. And, you know, most women have this belief that if they're in a long-term relationship, that they have to completely give up their sex or like just give into sex every single time. And that to me signals, sends a signal to your body of abandonment and oftentimes will take away from the confidence because you self-abandon yourself if you don't really feel like doing it, if you're just like giving in, right? So if all you want to do is make out in bed and that can be sexy, then shit, make out in bed and keep it at that. Don't force yourself to do something that you're just not into because that's going to take away your confidence and chip away at it every single time. Mm. I think one thing that came to mind while you, specifically with like the body image question that you said, Christina, mm-hmm. It's not, I'm going to tell my mom not to listen to this episode. <laughs> so like one thing, so I'm like really self-conscious about like, I would say one part of my body that I am working on um, accepting is my stomach. Mm. And, you know, I'm just going to say there are certain positions where it's out mm-hmm. and about and it's rolly and it's like squished and they see it. And sometimes in that moment, like we'll be having sex and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm just thinking about my stomach and I can't even enjoy the actual experience. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm asking how like how do you get back into your body and how, out of your head? Yes. How do I <laughs> yeah, reframe that? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of thinking about, oh my God, all this guy is seeing is my stomach rolls, like flapping back and forth. <laughs> Sorry. This I mean, I know. I'm the same way too, you know? And it's funny because I, you know, I was like asking my partner about this. Cause again, like I, I always like want to know about, about that from like the male perspective. Right. Yeah. Because of course, for women, we're just like, oh shit, this looks like shit. Or like, this thing is like coming out of my bra. Does this look cute? Like shit, he's going to see this little thing. And you know what? For the most part, the answers I've gotten from most men is like, we don't give a fuck. There is somebody hot in bed here with me. Mm. And I love that she's confident in her body. Mm-hmm. And if she feels confident, that's cool. So, you know, I think one part of it is just like remembering as a woman, God damn it, you look hot. Or like, mm. you are so worth it. You are so worth this sexual experience. You might as well own every single moment of it. 
Right. Walk in there and be like Beyonce and like own your sexuality in whichever, which way it needs to be, whether it's fierce or you want cuddles, like those two things can exist. And I think too, you know, again, like what I, what I always like to tell women, it's like, guys are lucky to be in, I mean, that guy's lucky to be in bed with you. Mm, He is lucky to be in bed with you. Yeah. I think you need to take that power back. And also I think that you need to, I think we put so much emphasis on ourselves and our insecurities, but like we have no idea what's going on in the other person's head Mm -hmm. because they may be laying there and be like, oh my gosh, I literally am not flex right now. She's going to (laughs) notice that I haven't hit the gym in two weeks. You you just never know. Mm -hmm. They might be in their head just as much and not even thinking about that. And hopefully they're just enjoying themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think too, it's like, Breath work, I mean, you know, we all know this within the wellness industry, breath work is so important and that's super important too in in in, in sexual experiences. Like we stop fucking breathing when we're having sex sometimes, right? Like you're just like you're so nervous you hold it in. Yeah. And when you hold it in, you keep you keep your sexual energy also trapped inside of you. So it has nowhere to actually move within your body. Yeah. So if you just continue to breathe and you find a way to like all right. Okay. I'm thinking about this thing, but like then shift your mind to think about where, where's another sensation that feels really good. Mm, like yeah. get back into your body. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're just like, damn, I really love the way he's like, I don't know, touching my leg in that way. Like whatever it might be, it's like focus on the pleasure of what's happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get out of your head and into your body. I love that. Yeah. Do you have any tips for women who want to, who struggle with expressing themselves or what they want from their partners in the bedroom? Mm, Yeah. Um, I think the, one of the easiest ways is asking. So for example, you know, this is a really, really, this is like one great example. It's like, you know, using toys in the bedroom or whatever. Let's just say that it's that one. Um, The way that I would always like, tell women to position this with their partners is how would you feel like if we were brought in a toy into the bedroom mm-hmm. versus like, I think we need to bring in a toy or, you know what, can you like, can you eat me out a little bit more? Or like, do you think you could do this? Do you think go to the left or whatever? I think it's always like easier if you ask it as a question, what do you think if we did this? Or I really love it when you do X, Y, Z, can you do more of that? Like that sounds so much sexier than like, mm. hey, I really like the time that you ate me out in this particular direction. Do you, you is that cool? Like, can you do more of that? It's yeah. like, I don't know. It's just, I, I think when you praise it, when you praise the action and acknowledge what it is that you like, if it's something you want more of, like praise the action and then request for it. Mm-hmm. Requesting for whatever reason always sounds very sexy. And when you request for things, there's a certain type of like dance with power mm-hmm. and consent. And it always feels, I don't know, like to me, I think it always like, it, it turns the sexual energy between the two of you because then it's just like a, Ooh, he might say no. And there's like this form of rejection, but there's also like a possible yes, which feels really good too. Mm. Right. And and it's also like stroking an ego a little bit too, because yeah. and building confidence in them. Yeah. And I think too, if it's really, really difficult to communicate um, what you want sexually with your partner, then have a moment where maybe you just create a hell yes list, a willing list and a no fucking way list, which is just like a a night that you guys have, you open up a bottle of wine or whatever, and you just write down like 
basically your fantasies or the things that you like or the things that you just don't want to do. And I always encourage people to use this list and, and add non-sexual activity and sexual activity to the list so that you know what is it about your physical connection that you really want to invite more of or not at all. Mm. And that way, it's like a really fun conversation, right? You do the list separately and then you come together and you're just like, holy shit, I had no idea you wanted to try that. Why? Like, tell me a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, super curious about that. What What is it about that that sounds intriguing to you? And then meet it with, for women, like if, if, you, if you do this exercise and you somehow find that there is this like this weird thing or fantasy that your partner wants to try, or maybe you have a weird fantasy that you want to try, just, just set the ground rules that when you guys are going to have a conversation about this, there's absolutely no judgment or shaming. Mm. No, like being like that really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like again, going back to uh, a penis is just as normal as an elbow. Just, Oh, that's, that's really cool. Tell me more about why you think a threesome would be interesting for us. Mm. I was just going to ask you, what do you think? <laughs> I love how we're all like, <laughs> I'm just like thinking of all these things. going to be like, <laughs> you ask your question. No, ask. No, no. I'm not embarrassed. Don't. This is a safe space. Only yeah, my mother-in-law and husband are in the other room. I know. Totally this fine. is why I was like, because <laughs> Christina's husband and mother-in-law are right in the and I'm like, I just That's was awesome. talking about my legs being behind my head and my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting hot, Joe. I'm taking my jacket off. I'm getting... <laughs> um, I honestly don't even know what I was going to say now because I got so nervous and I lost my train of thought. Um, but one question I did have was, okay, that's great. But what if there's a lack of sex in a relationship? I've been in a relationship before where I was like, I want to have sex. And he was like, never in the mood. How would you... Um, suggest someone approach that situation where they definitely feel like sex is lacking and they want to address it, but not sure how, would it kind of be in that same way of asking for specific things in bed or would you approach it in a different way? Yeah. I think first and foremost, like think about the setting that you're going to have this conversation with, right? Like obviously that needs to have a, that needs a conversation. So think about the setting and how, and the intention behind the conversation. So what I mean by that is like, you're never going to want to have this like conversation in a place where they feel cornered, right? Because mm. that's going to be really shitty, then they're just going to feel attacked by you. And so one way is like, hey, I'd love to have this conversation about our sex life. Do you think you're open to that? And that, seeing first if they're open to it. That sounds so approachable and so easy. And I feel like it, <laughs> it's something that I like, did not handle it that way. I'll tell you. That. <laughs> and it did not work out. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. I mean, I think I, you know, again, that's why I think I'm, I'm so huge on like consent because it's just like ask for consent, see if yeah. they're okay with it. And if they're like, you know what? I would love to have this conversation with you, but not the moment. And then you can come back and say, awesome. Do you think we can have this conversation on Wednesday night? Mm-hmm. Mm over a bottle of wine it's super casual nothing like no one's in trouble i just i just want to kind of check in with our sex life Mm. and then just have it as open as possible hey i've just been noticing lately you know i i've been initiating a lot which i absolutely love initiating totally don't mind it at all because i you know i loved having sex with you but i've noticed that you know you're the 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 same desire that you had for me at one point is just no longer there is there something happening on your end or do you feel this way? Or is this just like my perception? 
And then that way it gives an opportunity for that partner to say, actually, you know what? Work has been really crazy. There's been a lot of stress on my mind or holy shit, I didn't even realize it. I thought you just really like initiating all the time. Mm. And then you're just like, cool. Okay, well, now we can problem solve this. Gosh, I feel like you have such a good way of making things sound so simple when I feel like most (laughs) women like would probably think about this for months and like let it like eat up in their head and then come at it from a place of like judgment or resentment or attacking. attacking. That's what I think where I, as in owning your shit, I definitely am guilty of coming from a place of you're doing this wrong and attacking instead of being like, this is how I feel. Like, can you, you know open up and let me know maybe why this is I'm feel like I'm initiating more or I feel like you're pulling back like there's something going on approaching from openness rather than confronting and attacking Mm -hmm. which I'm very guilty of well it's also hard too because you know we've been taught to protect our sex and sexuality. And then we're also, we don't have very many safe spaces where you can talk about sex life and relationship issues and, and it not feel like you have a problem, right? Like the moment you go into therapy as a couple, it's like, oh my God, there's an issue there. But it's like, what if we're just here to sharpen our, our tools of communication? What if there really is no issue, but all of a sudden it's painted that way? Or even with sex, it's like, if you guys aren't having sex anymore, it's like, what's what's the problem? What's going on there? You know, yeah. it's like it's an immediate, like there's an issue. So of course, naturally within our bodies, like we're going to want to protect that. And then anything that comes out from us when we're trying to address it feels like we're, we're going in for a fight. Because we're protecting a very vulnerable part of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Sex is so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Whether or not, like, whether or not somebody has lots of casual sex or they view sex as something super sacred that's only done after marriage, like, regardless of how they view it, it's a very vulnerable place for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to talk about. You mentioned something uh, before about orgasms, right? And I feel like orgasms are like this gold standard. Like if you're not having an orgasm, you're not having good sex. So one, you you kind of equated to like that doesn't necessarily like mean good sex or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but say that is something that you want to have. Like how do you, what are your thoughts on women who fake orgasms? And two, um, if you want to orgasm more, but you're not, you're not. Like how do you convey and communicate that with your partner? Yeah. I am not going to speak on like my thoughts on why women fake orgasm. I'm just going to speak on my own perspective because I don't want to like have anyone feel like they're being shamed if they Mm -hmm. do it. Um, Because I've faked my orgasms plenty of fucking times. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I faked it is because I remember thinking if, if he, if I don't have an orgasm, he's going to think something's wrong with him Mm -hmm. or like it wasn't good. And so for me, it was definitely this like perception of how I measured sex. Mm-hmm. being good or not. And so, you know, now looking back at that period of my life, I'm like, damn, that really sucks because then I totally made this guy think that he was really great in bed when he wasn't. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like just didn't have the the I didn't have the the courage to just speak up and say, "Hey, that's not working for me." Mm-hmm. And to make it a normal part of our conversations in our relationship, right? And so, you know, when I think about like fake orgasms, I mean, if uh, now I would never do it. And if you're listening and you're doing it now, I mean, just ask yourself if you want to continue to do it. And if you do, great. 
not judging at all. And if you don't, then just ask yourself, why, why do you feel the need to, is it for you? Is it for him or for her, the other person, the other partner? Um, and then in terms of like having an orgasm, if you are having a hard time having an orgasm, there's a couple things there. Um, our, 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 our womb space, our pussies, like is home to our sacral chakra and our sacral chakra houses creativity and emotions as well. And so if you have a lot of emotional stress or if you're going through a lot of stress, your body will naturally clam up. Uh, in the sexuality space, we call this armoring up. And so your body will literally armor up and cannot release through an orgasm because you are just so tightly wounded. If you're not expressing yourself, if you're not telling the truth, if you're not speaking and using your voice, if you're not using your creativity, that oftentimes will clam up your um, your 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 sexuality, your vagina, your organs, and and it might it might be hard for you to orgasm. I have found that oftentimes when women are able to freely express their emotions, their orgasms also come freely too just because all of it is is tied up together. Now, there's also like mechanical reasons, right? That that women can't <laughs> orgasm um, in terms of like their bodies, right? And just needing either more stimulation or maybe they need more lubrication to do that. Oftentimes too, um, women tend to want to constrict their bodies to have an orgasm and they tighten up and force an orgasm through. And part of the reason why they do that is because uh, they don't feel safe in their body to just completely relax and free fall in their sexual experience. Mm. And oftentimes the most like juiciest orgasms happen when you can fully relax into your own body and fully just like be there and be present with your body and just completely free fall. And then you have like your full body orgasms, but it's so hard to sometimes have that when, you know, our minds are everywhere, uh, our bodies, like we feel super disconnected with our bodies or there's just, I mean, shit as like moms, there's a lot, there's a lot of people that you're, you're serving before you can serve yourself. Yeah. Wow. I've, there's so much that goes into it and it's not just like this easy, like, oh yeah, did you orgasm? Yes. No, it's like, there's, it's, so much that goes into it. I've never heard of it. I um, heard someone speak on it, how you did, which I loved, like how so many aspects of ourself emotionally, apart from physically are tied to that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oftentimes when women are like me and my partner are having a hard time having sex or, you know, me and my husband, like there's just no desire there anymore. I, I always get down to the root cause of like, what are you holding on to emotionally? It's always my first question. It's, it's never about how you having sex enough times. Are you doing X, Y, Z, this, have you scheduled? So like all that is part of it, but the biggest part is just like, what are you, what is your body holding on to? Yeah. Because your body keeps a score and it hangs on to emotional trauma, wounding, remembers a lot of things. And we trap all of that memory in there. So true. We really do. One thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap up, because I know a lot of girls are single and we're in a pandemic. So like, you know, not many people um, necessarily. If they are interested in exploring self-pleasure or masturbation for the first time, but maybe feel shame or don't know, or maybe it's just all new to them. Do you have any advice on kind of where to start? 
Yeah. Uh, the one thing I say, and this is like the thing that I always tell everyone is think of your body as an instrument and you are the artist or the musician. How do you want your body to sing? What are you going to explore? How are you going to touch it? What sounds is it going to make? What pleasure is going to come out of it? And, and go from there. Because sometimes I think, you know, we get so hung up on like touching ourselves and, and getting right into our vaginas and to our pussies right away. And I'm just like, touch your legs, touch your arms, touch your shoulders, like touch your hair, ravage the shit out of yourself, or even just like hold yourself and cuddle. And maybe that feels good for you. And, you know, pleasure or masturbation, like I like to call it like a self-pleasure practice because it's all about what feels good. It's all about pleasure. It's all about what actually feels good to you. And I don't know, masturbation just sounds so like masculine and hard and yeah. pleasure just like rolls off a little bit more. And I just think, yeah, your body's an instrument. See how it plays. With that said, do you have any, first of all, can I just say the first thing that you said, <laughs> you're talking about like, you see how your body sings. I was like, I want my body to sing like Mariah Carey. Like, that's, like, <laughs> that's, why you, that's why I was like laughing. I was like, literally the first thing that came to my mind. Um, with all that said, are there any specific uh, resources or like tools or anything that you could recommend to our listeners who want to explore more of that? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you can hire me as a coach. That's one, that's, mm -hmm. that's one definite resource. Um, also one of the things that has been really helpful for a self-pleasure practice is, is using a, a crystal pleasure wand. I really love those. Yeah, that sounds um, beautiful. I know. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I love crystal pleasure ones. Um, they are harder. Like they're not, obviously they're not like silicone based, but what I love about them is, I mean, we all know we're in the wellness industry. So you're using a crystal to tap into, you know, some sort of energetic field and it just feels more of like a ritual. Mm, yeah. Versus like, here's this hard thing that's like constantly moving, which I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my vibrators. I have a shit ton of them. So I love my toys, but there is something very connective when you are using a pleasure wand made out of a healing crystal. So I would kind of go there first. And really the, the best resource is your hands and your body. Just, just figure it out. We're going to need a link, a link to this crystal pleasure wand because For sure. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, sure. Thank you so much. Joe. honestly, like this You're has been so such a, a liberating conversation. And I feel like one that just like registered for me so much on all different fronts. Um, mm, so I feel more empowered leaving it. And I hope uh, our listeners do as well. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is so much fun. And I'm really glad that like, I'm really glad that we're having more conversations about this because I think it's time for, for women and people and to just take their bodies back and to realize that pleasure is their birthright. Mm. Amen I love to that. that. Yes. <laughs> and thank you so much for being so open and honest and sharing with us and teaching us and just creating a space where we can all come and learn and just have these conversations that maybe people are nervous to have. I mean, I got nervous. I was like, oh, but you created such a safe space. And um, I just appreciate you. So thank you so much for coming on. We are so thankful for this conversation. You're so welcome, you guys. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes on our website, theconfidentcollective.com and find us on Instagram at confidentcollective. 
And if you really loved what you heard, screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it in your stories. And don't forget to tag us. 